Hey guys, Editing Mike here. I wanted to drop in real fast before this episode and let you all know that uh, if you notice a sharp um, improvement of Max's audio quality about 15 minutes into this episode, you're not going crazy. Uh, We realized that we were having some levels issues as we were recording, took a quick break, and got it fixed. All that is to say, Max's audio track significantly improves um, around the 15-minute mark, which is great because we had some excellent conversations in this episode and it truly does deserve a uh, at least a, a passable audio quality um, to really experience to its fullest so hope you guys all enjoy it sorry for that uh, first 15 minutes um, but anyway on with the show welcome to sacred realms huh? It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, sibling, confidant, person who who drinks whiskey with me sometimes. (laughs) Pretty much every time we're together. Yeah. (laughs) That's Matt Willoughby. How you doing, Matt? That's me. That's Matt Willoughby. I am fantastic. Uh, You know, like I said on our last episode... I really missed not being on the podcast. I didn't think I would. I thought like one week off would be like fine, but I really missed it. And we we recorded, you know, behind the scenes curtain look here for everybody. We recorded an hour ago our last episode because we're doubling up on episodes. And now we're going into hour two of recording and the conversation's flowing. The whiskey's flowing. The guests are on. We're having so much fun. And I hope our listeners are having so much fun as well. Uh, so I'm feeling great. Yeah, just a reminder that the production schedule that we're adhering to for this game is a little bit different than what we've done before and what we're going to do afterward. My wife is still on track uh, with a due date of July 28th for our first child. She's so. got that baby in the oven. Yeah, got got a baby in the oven. So anywho, we're trying to knock out all the recording for this game in half the time that we normally would so that I've got like a five to six week break after uh bebe shows up so. which is exhausting by which, the way which is a great which is a great plan but also like if you know <laughs> we're in anything can happensville right now and if she goes into labor like tonight then i don't know guys you're, you're gonna have the matt willoughby show for a couple episodes yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be matt and jackson holding down the fort for a little while hey That's we okay. can do it the show we can do it the show will go on it'll be great Absolutely. So we are here tonight to talk about probably the most pivotal moment in Leaks Awakening besides the final boss fight. Probably the most uh, narratively impactful portion of this game. And as we mentioned in last week's episode, we have brought on a very special guest to talk about that section of the game with us. He requested this chunk very specifically. Which we we gave it to him without qualm. Oh, yeah. We were more than happy to set this aside for him. Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome back to the show Max Nichols of Bungie. Hey, glad to be here. I'm excited for this episode in particular. Yeah, we're we're excited to have you here, Max. I, I think I recall back in Ocarina of Time when we did the Water Temple episode, you mentioned that Link's Awakening, and I think you've actually told me this offline as well before, but Link's Awakening holds a very special place in your heart amongst the canon of Zelda games, right? Definitely. Uh, Link's Awakening was actually extremely formative for me. Uh, it's the reason... I'm a fan of Zelda series, and it's the reason I'm a game designer, and a lot of what I try to pursue in my career, a lot of my own dreams and ambitions are can be traced back to 
you know, the experiences I had with this game as a child. Uh, so it means a lot to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I think uh, it's going to be really interesting getting into a conversation with, for anyone who uh, wasn't listening to the Ocarina of Time season, we kind of said this in the Water Temple episode, but Max is a is a, a game designer at Bungie, obviously a very large AAA game studio, and a person who has actual technical knowledge of the way that game design works, the theory behind game design. Um, you've actually, you, you've done some uh, some teaching on the subject, right? Max? Yep. I've taught one class, one college course, and I'm actually teaching another college course on world design uh, in the fall. Uh, cool. That's awesome. The sort of work I want to be doing. So I hey, Lyndon taught a people. college class one time. Well, yeah, but not about, about drawing. Yeah, but you're an artist, so like that's equally cool. Yeah, yeah. No, like, teach, teaching an art class in college level is awesome. <laughs> well, thank you guys. I appreciate that. Anywho. Lyndon's dope. And I don't say that very often, so don't. The reason I know Lyndon is because I bought some of his originals, and I was like, "This guy seems cool." Oh, you have the link to the past one, don't you, on the purple paper? I do. Ah, it's outside my bedroom. Ah, that one was fun. Lyndon gave me a special uh, gold foil copy of the Skyward Sword original that he did for my birthday, and uh, that sucker is hanging right above my TV in my man cave, <laughs> Sky- and it's never leaving that position of honor. Skyward Sword, which uh, as of the as of the release of this episode, HD will have been out for about two weeks, and what did we say last week? I think we're expecting tens across the board from all major outlets on that, oh. right? Yeah, absolutely. Per- perfect tens, 100%. <laughs> yeah. No one could ever criticize Skyward Sword. Of course Never. not. I, I, I think that this may actually end up being the highest reviewed game on Metacritic. Uh, but, you know, who knows? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> anyway, we kid, we kid. But anyway, um, I'm excited to have you on this episode, Max, just because we got your perspectives on Zelda game design traditions in a 3D Zelda game. And now we're going to be able to approach um, the same discussion from a very different perspective, literally uh, getting into (laughs) perspective joke. Anyway, in a top down game, um, although interestingly, two games that came out very close to each other uh, in terms of the entire timeline of Zelda's. So really a lot of layers here. Only only what, six years, six years apart, something like that. Uh, five ninety three to ninety eight. Yep. So, yeah, definitely not that not that large of a gap. So, anywho, um, yeah, I think I mean we got your history with Zelda last time that you were on the show, Max. But uh, I, I want to get obviously we're going to get more specific about Link's Awakening and this section of the game in a minute. But I want to get an overall impression of where your attitudes are around the entire game. Could you just tell us maybe like, I don't know if you had to pick a favorite dungeon, a favorite dungeon boss and a favorite <laughs> item from Link's awakening. What would they be? Oh boy. Um, okay. Let's see. My favorite, the boomerang. <laughs> favorite, well, yeah. Boomerangs, you know, cheaters, cheaters, use the boomerang. cheaters, use the boomerang. Uh, I think my favorite dungeon is probably, um, Eagle's tower. Mm-hmm. Um, but just because the it's like a mind-bending maze that's it's the hardest dungeon in the game. I just have very strong memories associated with you know the elation of finally figuring out how it works. Um, like the water temple, it's got vertical puzzles 
Um, I was about to say, it, it has a lot of game. strong parallels with the water, <laughs> with the water temple. Yeah. Um, well, vertical puzzles in a top-down game, too. I mean, that in and right, of itself that is, is impressive. It's groundbreaking and amazing, for sure. Also annoying, but... Yep, the hardest dungeon in Link to the Past was the one with vertical puzzles. It's a, it's a theme. Um, that's the Ice Palace. Uh, mm. What was the other, the second one? Favorite item? Uh, Boss. boss, favorite boss, boss. boss. Uh, let's see. Um, so I have very strong memories of the genie from Bottle Grotto. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my little brother and I tried to beat him for like six months. We couldn't beat him because when you when you hit him with a bomb, it makes the same sound as when you damage him legit. So we thought we were damaging him when we hit him uh. with bombs. And we just tried and tried and tried. We eventually hit him with all 30 bombs in our bag. I think it was 30 in one go. Like we didn't miss once and it didn't kill him. We were like, crap, we should have picked the bomb bag upgrade instead of the arrow upgrade. <laughs> we started our save file and tried and tried and tried. We started the save file? Trying to hit him with all 60 bombs because we thought that's how we had to kill him. Um so it took us like six months or like a year or something of being stuck in that box. He's my least favorite, but I thought that was a more interesting. So we actually, we talked a lot about that boss in, in that episode because he's a very unique boss for the Zelda series. And I actually named him lower, but not, but he was still on my list when we did our bonus episode, naming our top boss fights. Um, and I put him on my list just because of how unique of a, of a boss fight that it is. But uh but I tell you what, that boss fight was much harder. I think we said this on the on the Balagrado episode, but that was a lot harder on the Game Boy than it is on the Switch. He's kind of a joke in the Switch version. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah. they telegraph what you need to do with him in the Switch version. And I'm going to take a second right here to just call out that we had a actually we had a message on Patreon about this from uh, Derek. And he made a really good point that Link's uh, Awakening has a lot of Mario crossover, a lot of parallels, obviously, you know, with the um uh, what are the fish? The cheap cheeps, cheap cheeps, cheeps, cheeps bloopers. the bloopers, the the piranha plants, the goombas, um, peach. A picture of peach shows up in there in the item trading quest. Bow wow, yeah. Booze, like there's a lot of Mario yeah. crossover, and the genie. Yeah, the, so the genie is like a very Mario boss, right? Like he has a lot of Mario characteristics. It's very similar. He compared Derek compares it to like where you have to pick up the bottle and throw it against a wall is a lot like how you have to pick up Bowser by the tail, swing him around and throw him. And but like, interestingly, I, I feel that it's, I, I feel it's, like it has accurate. characteristics it shares only with really with Mario bosses who came afterwards. Future Mario games after this point feel like that. That's a good um, point. Some cross pollination yeah. there. Uh, Takashi yeah, Tezuka, he was like the, the the director, the creative director for Link's Awakening. He he went, he did a lot of work in the Mario series after this. Yeah, because I guess any any Mario boss previous to this game would have just been like the, your classic jumping on top of them, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Mario sixty four obviously came out after this game, so that that's actually a great point. Uh, but I, I mean, clearly has got a few extra layers to it, given the the design lineage of the, of the talent involved with the game. So, I mean, that's, that's very interesting. I'm glad that Derek brought it up just so that we could have you kind of let us know that that was the case having a, a yeah. similar. Yeah. Huh. Uh, and I, oh, so the last question, my favorite item, um, I'm probably going to say the rocks feather. Uh, and the reason for that is because, well, 
once I get the Rock's Feather, I have it equipped almost 100% of the time in this game. Um, <laughs> but it does a bunch of fun stuff because you kind of use it. You can use it in every situation. Um, it's pretty fun to use. Like the act of pressing the button and doing a jump and like timing your jump and all that stuff is, is kind of a fun piece of gameplay in of itself. Um, and it, it does the Metroidvania thing where it's a key, um, to the environment. Once you get the rock's feather, it unlocks your ability to access many different parts of the map. So as soon as you get that, your map grows uh, enormously. And you can, you can kind of like, there's all this stuff you might have been seeing that you couldn't reach, like the heart piece in the circle of holes or, um, you know, some other places where there's holes in the, the map. And now you can access those. And that's always an exciting moment um, mm. when you think back to something you wanted that you couldn't get before. And you're like, now I can get it. Uh, it's, called, yes. uh, it's called recontextualization. Uh, by the way, <laughs> nice. uh, it recontextualizes your relationship to a piece of the environment that you previously had a different relationship with. Yeah. So um, I, I that actually brings up an interesting point. Matt and I in our last episode were talking about the fact that because we're we're the same as you. Once we get the rock's feather, we never take it off. It's permanently equipped to that button. And it is great for puzzle solving. It's great for opening up the world. But also I use it almost as much of an evasion tool. As, as an evasion tool as I do for anything else. Um, it's a pretty uh, integral part of my approach to combat in Link's Awakening. So that leads me to kind of ponder, do we think that future top-down Zelda games, should they should that happen? I mean, I guess it will, but uh, who knows? Um, but like, do we think that jumping, because I mean, obviously auto jumping is now a thing you can do in Breath of the Wild whenever you want. 3D Zelda games have adopted that. So do we think that Rock's Feather style jump mechanics would should just be included in top-down Zelda games going forward? I uh I don't really have a strong opinion on it. Um I think I think if the, the world is designed around having that mechanic, it can be a fun mechanic to put in, but I don't think it's uh necessarily required or should be in every future one. Uh, did did a link between worlds have it? I honestly don't remember. It did not. Um, Minish Cap. Minish Cap didn't have it. Uh, let's see. I think Oracle of Seasons or Ages. I don't remember which one. They, both they had a, ca- did. a cape. Yeah, the Rock's cape. But one of them, they both had the feather, and one of them had an upgrade to the cape. Okay. Cool. But yeah, I don't know. I just think it's. Uh, Anything that can help diversify your combat approach in a top-down Zelda game, I think, is a net positive, right? And I think that that's what the ability to jump and dodge does. And I I think that, especially, let's say you don't even have any puzzle solving around the ability to jump in a top-down Zelda game. And it really is just a a part of your movement toolkit. Mm -hmm. I think there's merit in having that discussion, you know? Yeah, yeah. The biggest problem with jumping in a top-down game is it can be hard to judge height uh, visually. Like it's just hard to, to tell how high you are and whether or not you're high enough to like dodge something or not. Um, I think Link's Awakening is kind of a binary switch. I think you're either on the ground or not, and if you're in the air, then you're dodging things that are on the ground. Uh, yeah. So it kind of they kind of designed around it. It's funny because depth perception is the it would be the way to fix that. So if they didn't do it in like between world, which was on the 3DS, uh, it would have worked better there. Yeah, but the because so many people designed for it. Yeah, 
because so many people use uh, use the 3D slider on the 3DS, right? <laughs> yeah. This That's just fair. drains the battery. Yeah, yeah. And then Nintendo kind of forgot about it after a certain amount of time and just stopped designing around it at all. Anyway, it's a neat idea that uh, goes on the pile of things that are maybe not Nintendo's biggest light the world on fire ideas. So regardless. Okay. Um, okay. So Rock's Feather, that's a good pick. All right. Well, thanks for giving us a little bit of more specific background into Link's Awakening. Generally, obviously, we're going to have a, a much more in-depth discussion about Face Shrine here in just a second. Uh, before we get around to that, I want to knock out a little bit of housekeeping. If you guys didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week, we play a new section of a Zelda game, and then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can always head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to bonus episodes, write in listener mail, vote on what game we play next, much, much more. All right, everybody, let's get into the Sacred Realms Rundown. The Sacred Realms Rundown (laughs) is, of course, a six-part analysis of what we played this week, the feelings that it made us feel, general thoughts and impressions. Today, we're covering Link's Awakening Chapter 6, which includes the Face Shrine. Part one of the plot, or excuse me, part one of the Sacred Realms Rundown is always the plot recap as read by Matt. Matt, take it away. Thank you, Lyndon. As always happens on this odd little piece of land, our course is set by the bright white light at the end of the dungeon. This time we are directed to head towards the ancient ruins directly north of Animal Village. There, it is said, we will discover a secret that will help shed light on the island and even on the windfish itself. As we reach the narrow path that leads to these ruins, our creepy owl stalker tells us that there are two shrines in this area and that we must visit the one to our south first. As we make our way through these crumbling ruins, we are attacked by ancient Armos and Zoles every step of the way. Using our newly acquired bow, which was bought at an exorbitant price, we make short work of these statues. Seriously, it's way too expensive. 980 rupees, that's ridiculous. That shopkeeper... something else to spend them on, though, right? I mean, also true. (laughs) But still, that's just a lot. A lot of fishing. I mean... That's true. I could have gone fishing like 99 times for that money. (laughs) (laughs) We come to the main building of the ruins and are confronted by a monstrously sized Armos knight who attempts to crush us beneath his feet. After felling this deadly enemy, we proceed into the dark shrine, where there sits an old mural on the far wall. The mural states, The island of Koholint is but an illusion. Awake the dreamer, and Koholint will vanish, much like a bubble on a needle. Deeply unsettled, Link is ushered out of the musty shrine. Immediately, he was met by the owl, who did little to assuage his concerns. The owl alludes to the uh, that the island was the windfish's dream, and if he woke, it and everyone on it would disappear. But alas, there is not to do but press onward and see for ourselves. The monsters grow more and more powerful the longer we stay, and the citizens of this island, whether illusory or not, are in danger. And we must leave. 
With the key from the ancient ruins, we head north to the enigmatic face shrine. This shrine tested not only our resolve to continue the quest, but also our strength. In fact, our current strength was not up to the task until we found the more powerful bracelet, which has a red gem instead of a blue gem. This bracelet allows us to lift massive statues and hurl them at our enemies and at doors. Speaking of enemies, there were many new ones here to take on, including tricky and powerful whiz robes and an annoying manta ray looking thing with a giant bowling ball that threw it at us over and over again. And we ended up killing. It makes a cute sound. It does make a very cute sound. Actually, it's it's actually kind of cute, like just in general when it's not throwing the ball at you. It's a little bit cute. After defeating all the foes in the dungeon, we come to the boss room, which is suspiciously empty. At least until the floor literally sprouts a face and starts trying to kill us, because of course it does. Mm. After bombing this mischievous tile fixture into utter submission, we find our sixth instrument, the Coral Triangle, and continue our quest to awaken the Windfish. This has been the plot recap as read by Matt. Part two of the Sacred Realms Rundown is our general takes. And Max, I want you to take it away here. You chose this as your section of the game to play. And uh, if you could just tell us what what about the sixth area of Link's Awakening speaks to you the most, I'd, I'd love for you to get into it. All right. So uh, uh, but without getting too specific about the dungeon, just because we have a section okay. for that. That's fine. The dungeon isn't the important part of this anyways. <laughs> uh, so minor, minor like background information on me. Uh, I, the way my brain works, um, I can't picture things very well. I don't have full-blown aphantasia, which is like the condition where you can't picture pic- images at all, but I'm close to it. I have to like close my eyes and like think hard to like picture things in my mind. Um, and, uh, an exception is things that are like low detail enough. I can kind of picture more easily. Uh, anyways, all that's to say is I'm very susceptible to getting extremely immersed in games I played as a child. And um, this game in particular, I have kind of more vivid memories of like inhabiting Koholan Island and being in there and like meeting all these characters than I kind of have of my actual life at that age. Um I don't know what that says about me, but uh, <laughs> no, no, I, it, I I can relate. Honestly, I believe me. I can I can like close my eyes and like picture like you may remember the smells of the beach and like I don't, I don't know where that comes from, although totally in my head. Um, so all that is to say, I was extremely attached in uh, in a way that that created emotions more than other games at the time did for me. Um, these other games I played were like it's all about mastery or the, or the feeling of victory or like, you know, kind of action stuff. Mm. Um, but I like had, had emotions about the characters in this game. So I was extremely attached, had all these emotions. Uh, I didn't know what it was. I was like really motivated as a kid to like figure out what's going on with this owl, what's going on with this Island, what's in that egg. Uh, and then I got to the Southern face shrine. Um, and, and I like vividly remember being like shook to my core by the revelation in the Southern face shrine. Uh, I, I like left that shrine afterwards, like in denial. I was like, no, it can't be true. Uh, <laughs> that's impossible. That's impossible. <laughs> Dang it. It's not a dream. I'm going to save Koholan Island. I love Koholan Island. Um, 
Yeah. So, so like that was a very, very powerful moment for me as a kid. Um, I even have uh, a tattoo of the owl from the shrine. Ah, I'm showing it to them in the webcam right now. Listeners can't see it, of course, but it's a great tattoo it's from the Nintendo Power Guide art of the hieroglyphs. Um, <laughs> so, like that was that was the moment for me. Um, that's that made this game, and uh, I can I can talk at length about why some of this is is Link's Awakening pulls off the same artistic trick that Shadow of the Colossus does, but I kind of would have to talk about the ending to do that. I don't know if we want to do that. No, that's a, that's okay. Um, I think, look, most people have played it, but just in case, I, I don't want to completely give the whole thing away. But yeah. I do want to derail this entire discussion into a very quick sidebar about Zelda tattoos because I want one and <laughs> I've wanted one for a very long time. I just don't know what I want, and I like yours. I like it a lot. I thought we already agreed on if this podcast goes like way off, then we're going to get matching ones that are like generalized Zelda. Well, but I still feel like I would want a different Zelda oh, tattoo okay, than you do. Uh, in the last episode, Matthew committed to our entire fan. Base. I absolutely did not. If commi- we get, I committed to the opposite of that. If we get a thousand dollar donation to the Patreon, then Matthew's going to get a tattoo of Monbo on his body. So. <laughs> Yeah. No, that is literally. I said the, the exact. Sunfish. I said the exact opposite of that. Actually, I said a thousand dollars. Every time I see a sunfish me. in like, <laughs> like a Discovery Channel show or something, all I can think of the music immediately pops in my head, and I just think about the sunfish. <laughs> <from> like, <sweet>. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah. No. Anyway, so gonna get a Zelda tattoo at some point. Just don't know what it's gonna be. But yeah, love yours. Um, no, I think that uh, it's really impressive what happens in this section of the game because when you look at the structure of Link's Awakening, it is very similar to the structure of A Link to the Past. Certainly, I mean they came from a very uh, they come from a uh, an era of game design and Legend of Zelda design, right? I can't think of anything that happens in A Link to the Past that resonates as much with me narratively as what happens here and i struggle to think of of why that is i mean there's more things happening in a link to the past you have two separate dimensions you have a wider cast of characters you have a lot more room to explore but i think it really does come down to the fact that the personalities of the people who inhabit koholint island are much more defined and much more distinctive than a lot of those characters and so when you're faced with the possibility that all of that might necessarily not actually exist. It might be a dream that carries a lot more weight. And I think that that's very impressive because it shows that um, in a lot of ways, the people, the, the developers of a link to the past managed to give more layers of personality to this smaller world and Island than they did with a link to the past, which like, let's be real. The, the characters who exist in that game mostly serve as vehicles for the puzzle solving and the world exploration, right? Here, right. it's, it's there's, there's essentially no characterization in Link to the Past. Yeah. Um, everyone gives you like little signposts, objectives when they talk to you. That's all it really is. Uh, except for Flute Boy. The only except, character. Uh, yes, except past. for Flute Boy. <laughs> uh, so have you heard about the Twin Peaks thing? The uh, inspiration? Yeah. Yeah, we talked about that. Ooh, yeah. We talked about that in our first episode. So I actually okay. I um I'm having a bit of a, a Twin Peaks experience in my life at this point. I had never seen it before. And then last year, 
uh, two years ago. I started watching it and I went down the whole th- I watched both both seasons, Firewalk with me, season three. I, I was living in a whole weird Twin Peaks place for a bit. And it and it, <laughs> and it was weird. I mean that'll do stuff to you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I had dreams, man. It was ooh. so um I won't talk about the Twin Peaks thing since it sounds like you've already covered it in the podcast. Suffice to say, it, it, it the result of that, one of the side effects is that we're much more invested in the characters and the characters are much more realized. Uh, the other thing that happened with Link's Awakening is there is a developer at Nintendo named Yoshiaki Koizumi. Um, and he started off by his first job at Nintendo was to write the backstory that appeared in the manual for Link to the Past. He didn't really work on a Link to the Past itself. He just wrote the backstory. So he wrote the myths, like the myths of the three goddesses and stuff. Um, and then his next role... Pretty important to, stuff. All yeah, things considered. in general. Yeah. Um, there's interviews where like other developers call him like the romantic and stuff. Like He's the guy who, uh, when he moved to Link's Awakening, he wrote the whole story. Um, and he wrote a lot of the dialogue and stuff. Like it was his... He was the one who decided that there was going to be a plot that was going to drive some of the design in Link's, Link to, in Link's Awakening. Um, he also co-directed Majora's Mask, if that tells you anything. Ooh, man, it really, it uh, really does. That does tell me a lot of things. Yeah, it, he, he not came surprising. Up with the 3-Day System and the Bomber's Notebook and wrote all the side quests and the story and the tone of the game. Oh, That's all he him. wrote the side quests? That's like the yep. best part of the game. Oh my gosh, we owe this man so much. So many uh, things. And he co-invented Z-Targeting in Ocarina of Time. What the heck? Okay, so this guy's a rock star. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, he, he left the Zelda team during the Wind Waker to go be the game director for Mario Galaxy. Um, Which is supposedly the best, one of the best Mario games of and all time. He's, he's so been like, in charge of Mario ever since. Yeah, I mean, he left, he left, he, left uh, he left one high watermark in a game series to go work on another high watermark in a game series. So yep. good, good on him. <laughs> anyways uh we should thank him for for being the one to decide that stories should be in zelda games and making it happen in link's awakening you know uh it's interesting that you bring up the manuals for both link to the past and link's awakening because i recall so vividly the artwork that was in those and how awesome it was uh truly a lost art form and then that led me even further to think about um all the artwork that uh that uh, Katsuya Terada did for both Link to the Past and, yes. but especially Link's Awakening. It's some of the best Zelda art. Yeah, the tattoo that I have. <laughs> yeah, but um, because that's one of the, that's probably the most famous illustration of his from Link's Awakening, right? The the Southern Shrine. Good chance. Yeah, his art. Um, like when you're when when you when I was young, probably similar for you, I would play this game in black and white in the Game Boy, and like it was just a very low fidelity pixel mishmash. Um, what I pictured in my head while I was playing was the art from the manual, which I read and reread religiously. Yeah. Um, and later in my life, it was the art from the Nintendo power guides, which was the Katsuya Terada or Tetsu. Uh, yeah. Katsuya, Katsuya? Katsuya Terada. Yeah. His art. Um, and I, I miss that person doing art for Zelda games. He did dark stuff that was darker in tone than they've taken official art since then. Yep. Yep. And he's still, I mean, I, I believe he's still alive and working. So yeah. Yeah. Just but, not on Zelda. Yep. That's a shame. But yeah, I, actually, I once looked into what it would take to try to like 
uh, crap. What's what it's, what's it called when you hire an artist? Oh, commission. Uh, commission i was like i want to commission art from this guy i couldn't figure out a way to do it uh, well yeah you're, <laughs> you're my price range you're, you're dealing with a price barrier a fame barrier and a language barrier so like yep. yeah um anyway i'm actually i'm absolutely going to use his southern i'm looking at it right now the hieroglyph and i'm absolutely using that as the thumbnail for this instagram image yes. for this episode so it's amazing um but anyway, yeah, okay. So, geez, we man, we covered a lot of ground there. What was the original point that we were talking about? I don't know. We kind of <laughs> we we just fit a lot of things into five minutes of conversation. That's amazing. <laughs> um, no, I, I I I think that this is definitely narratively the most impactful portion of the game for all the reasons that we just talked about. Um, I don't know. Look, Max, do you think that this is? And I don't want to belabor the point because there are more things to talk about, obviously. But I think that. The revelation, at least this is all coming to me right now, the revelation that this means so much because of the way that the the individuals and the characters in Link's Awakening are portrayed, that gives it impact. Do you think that that accomplishment, the pathos and the investment is singular to Link's Awakening in the realm of top-down Zeldas? I mean, it's not a th- – like top-down Zeldas are not known for this. Um, of Monk's top-down Zeldas – uh there's some like tonal similarities that you can get out of the oracle games especially oracle of ages um like there's 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 places in those games where there's like melancholy and and uh characters sacrificing things um i don't personally find that they reach the heights link's awakening does um and they doesn't it doesn't do this thing that link's awakening does so link's awakening does this thing where um the whole tone pivots after the Southern Face Shrine. Up until that point, it is a it is an optimistic adventure. There isn't really any edge of darkness. Occasionally, there is. There's a little bit. Like there's there's some ominous murmurings from the owl and some of the other villagers and stuff. But mostly, it's just optimistic. And then you reach this point, and you start seeing stuff like Facade, the boss of the Face Shrine. When you beat him, he like. He has this mournful, like, last line where he talks about how, like, the island's going to disappear and they're just trying to survive. Um, and, like, every time you beat a dungeon boss, like, you start, like, sympathizing with them and you're, like, you start questioning whether what you're doing is right. Um, and you start wondering, like, am I going to, are you, am I, as the player who is doing these actions, um, which is a something that's kind of unique to the game medium, right? Is that the, the, user who's experienced the media is actually taking action and causing what they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, the player starts wondering, like, am I going to destroy all, all these characters? Um, and there's nothing in the Zelda of the rest of the Zelda series that really quite approaches that level of like, um, agency over like unknown, but potentially bad things. Uh, the closest would be Majora's Mask, I'd say, which is very yeah. dark in other ways. Especially if you subscribe to like the multiverse theory, where it's like <laughs> there's a separate <laughs> timeline every time you go back in time. It's like they're they're <laughs> like infinitely messed up versions of Termina that you're just discarding in your quest. To, like, <laughs> but anyway. well, you know, the yeah. other thing is like even after this, um, after this the ancient ruins there's an owl statue that you can interact with that's um a little bit north uh east of the ancient ruins that says something crazy dark about like basically inferring that link is dead 
and I, I don't remember the exact line. I'm going to go look it up right now. But like it's it. it yeah. At, everything before this has been very happy go lucky. And like we're just trying to like help the people of this island. And now it's like, what is reality? Are you alive? Do yeah. you exist in the eye and in the dream of some god? Yeah, more, like, more, okay. <laughs> more, more to the point, is Marin alive? Because we kind of like Marin, we right? Like, Marin. like yeah, she's yeah. kind of the focal point for all of the investment we have in the population yeah, like of, of this island. We've already yeah, had, yeah, yeah. She's our stand-in, the the most human of the villagers. Sure, mm-hmm. we've already had our nice little uh, oceanside chat on the log about seagulls and coconuts. So, like, that's we, true, you know, and we, wanting to go far away from was, here and sing to everybody. Yeah, was the quote "the windfish slumbers long, the hero's life gone"? Yes, yes. that yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's funny. I never interpreted it that way. I always interpreted it as like, if you take too long, you'll die. I like yours better. Yeah, that Link's already dead. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, that, uh, that heavy metal Zelda band should make a song about that. That sounds like that's a pretty metal uh, line just in general. So, they yeah, should, they should get on. <laughs> Master Sword should get on that. Um, OK, hey, Matt, uh, Max and I have been talking a lot. What do you what do you feel about this section of the game? I, th- I, th- I love this section of the game. So I, I touched on this a little bit in the last episode, but um, one of the things that I think Link's Awakening does super well is is give you this dichotomy, right? Of exactly what Max was speaking to is like I'm so invested in all of these people and um I'm so invested in Marin and Taryn and the the citizens of Mave Village and the citizens of Animal Village. Is that all for nothing? Is this all in my head? And I love that. I I do kind of because what this does for you is basically it takes away any question and it says that this is a dream, Uh, whether it's your dream or the Windfish's dream is the question here. Um, What I almost wish they would do instead was make it a little more ambiguous of is this a dream or is this not kitty? Max has a cat. Oh, we love kitties. Where's the kitty? Oh, Oh, hi. He's pretty kitty. Uh, it's interesting that you say that because, um, the game does try to like throw back in uncertainty mm-hmm. after you read the hieroglyphs, like the owl will say stuff like who knows what the truth is. And I, I'm yeah. paraphrasing of course, but, uh, like they kind of, it kind of makes it clear that like, you don't know if you, this, you should take this at face value. Um, or at least that was how it was always was for me. Yeah. I'm going to use I'm going to use the term face value as a super, super not subtle at all segue into part three, which is the dungeon map where we talk about the face face. range. (laughs) Oh, my God. I hate you so much. I hate you so much. Silky smooth segue. This is part three, the dungeon map, where we analyze this week's dungeon from mechanics to music and more. This week's dungeon is, of course, the face shrine. And I'm going to give Matt the first crack at this um, with the caveat that I'm just going to say that, uh, Max, I know you said that the dungeon is kind of not necessarily the biggest focus of this area of the game for you. Um, I, I actually quite like this dungeon. Uh, I like it quite a lot for a lot of reasons, but, but, but Matt, uh, where are you at with, uh, face shrine? I, I l- like the face shrine. Yes. I, I like the face shrine. Um, 
I think the the whiz robes are a very good addition, especially if you have the bow or the boomerang. Um, if you don't have the bow or the boomerang, good luck uh, killing whiz robes. Well, I don't you even need think one you or can. the other, right? There's yeah. no there's no way to kill the Armos in the southern ruins without one or the other. Yeah, right? I, I don't think you can kill whiz robes without the bow or the boomerang. I so, always kill them with bombs. You can do that. Yep. Well, no, I you put a bomb down as they disappear, and then by the time they pop back up, it explodes on them. Yeah. So, oh. so, so for Wizrobes that works, but I'm saying you can't even get into Face Shrine without. You don't have to kill Armos in the ancient ruins. If you let them run around and just open up the gaps, you can just like kind of. Oh run man, that sounds like a really quick way to get like I, dead. Yeah. I mean, yes. I think you can still kill the bomb, the Armos with bombs too. Okay. All right. But anyway, so there you go. But but your point no, stands. Point stands. Good, yeah. yeah, good luck. Uh, if you're good with bomb placement like Max, then there you go. Um, well, of course. I mean, the 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 <laughs> great the great bomb bag fiasco of the bomb grotto. Practice, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like this. I like this dungeon. I feel like I complain about dungeons in in this game so far. I feel like I'm always kind of the naysayer. So I'll continue that trend here. I feel like it relies. Well, do something different. I mean, I feel like it relies too heavily on the orange versus blue crystal mechanic. Uh, but I love that. I mean, I love a little bit of that. I do. I really do. Like, I think the orange versus blue crystal mechanic, especially when it carries across the whole dungeon and not just like a, a closed off space. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that is very cool. I think it is very well done. I think there's a lot of it in this dungeon. Um, I love how this dungeon opens up back into the overworld. And it's just one small section where you can go back up and you get you open a chest. I think that's super cool. We've never seen that before in Link's Awakening. Mm-hmm. Um, the whiz robes are fun. I think the boss fights like pretty decently cool. Um, getting an upgraded version of the power bracelet is super meh. But like yeah. overall... Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, sure, you're getting the same thing twice. Don't love it. And there's like no place you can use it. Outside no, yeah, it has no purpose throughout the rest of the game. So it doesn't recontextualize any areas. For you. Exactly. So the items, meh. So can we call can we call the level two power bracelet the the worst item in the game? I would say, yeah, probably. OK, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm prepared to make an early judgment on that. That sounds right. Yeah. Uh, so I do like this dungeon. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll i leave it at that. I like the dungeon. So here's my deal. I think so, Max, ever since you came on the podcast to talk about the Water Temple, you kind of recontextualized the way that we discuss dungeons because each one ends up falling into a discussion where we're trying to categorize it as either a puzzle box or a combat gauntlet. Right. Uh-huh. So thank you for that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so for this one, you know, so it, whereas catfish's maw is absolutely a combat gauntlet for a variety of, I mean, just enemy density, you know, the amount of mini bosses, whatever it, that one feels like a combat gauntlet to me. This one, I would, I would call more a bit more of a puzzle box just because, um, like you were saying Matt, it revolves very heavily around keeping track of your your uh, ability to access various parts of the dungeon, whether or not mm-hmm. you've got the orange blocks raised or lowered. Mm-hmm. And we've had that in dungeons before, but they're far more pivotal here than mm-hmm. they ever have been at any other point. I would say that they're probably the main. Uh, they're they're the, the main mechanic of yeah, this dungeon. They're the main mechanic around which this entire dungeon revolves. And like, it's not like they aren't present in Eagle's Tower 
or I, I think I can't remember if they're in Turtle Rock. I don't know. I don't think they are. They are, but that's very there's like one block and one switch somewhere. Okay, in Turtle Rock. cool. So but it's not like they don't show up again after this, but those dungeons each have their own main gimmicks that they mm-hmm. sort of revolve around here. The colored switch blocks really do dictate the flow of the dungeon. And I like the way that that happens because it forces you to keep track of, of where those are at any given time, mm-hmm. if they're raised or lowered. And it also really forces you to keep a good mental image of the entire layout of the dungeon in your head, right? And one thing I will say that I do really like about interacting with these crystals now versus when you saw them in earlier iterations, now you have the ability to hit them from a distance so you can more accurately control where you are and how it affects the space that you are physically occupying. Yeah. So using the bow, which will go through the blocks, right? So if an orange block is red, raised in front of you and you need it to be lowered you don't have to find some way around that orange block you can just shoot over it with the bow so i do like that um i like that the bow or boomerang does the same thing Mm -hmm. um opens up a little more flexibility with this mechanic than you have previously had yeah so i I think that is a good addition yeah max where are you at with uh face shrine i think the face shrine is a pretty good dungeon um i think it has amazing music uh it, it might be my favorite dungeon music of the game um and it it kind of is the first dungeon um that i feel like really ups it has a jump, big jump in combat difficulty because of how powerful wizard robes are yes um yes. like it you go into that dungeon and you get hit the first like you get you hit the first like combat room and you're like oh dear, these wizards are gonna die f here. me up um I mean, not if you have like the blue tunic from the color dungeon, but <laughs> or the boomerang, uh, or the boomerang. <laughs> uh, nothing matters if you have either of those. But um, if you don't have nothing, uh, nothing you don't have the, really matters. Then, yeah, it's, then it doesn't even matter. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it also has up until that point, I want to say it has the most um, the most interconnected kind of dungeon mechanics where the actions in one room can really affect your actions in another room, which is kind of the hallmark of a puzzle box dungeon um, is, is having, to, is like being able to like change the state of the dungeon that affects it overall from a single spot. Um, and they really have that because of the blocks, the blocks are like this really simple mechanic that, that has that impact when they're design designing around it for the whole dungeon. Um, trying to think if any of the previous dungeons really had much like that uh, uh, um, not as much no the, the closest thing i can really think of is angler's tunnel and that's not because of anything that you change in the dungeon but just because once you get the flippers parts of the dungeon that were previously inaccessible now are and it yeah. kind of changes the way you interact with it but i don't think that really counts interestingly this is the uh this is the dungeon where the key item doesn't actually unlock that much. Like if that, there aren't that many different places where the key item unlocks access. There's like two spots. I feel like two or three, maybe four where you actually even use it. Um, but they're pretty important, like bottlenecks. So it is true that once you get it, you have access to a lot more. Yeah, definitely. It does that weird thing where there's the room where like it keeps teleporting you back. You have to like throw the elephant at the door. 
trying to remember. It's been a while since. Yeah. So there's a there's a series of I think it's three rooms, and you can progress north through each of them. And one of those rooms is the mini boss room with the ow ow manta ray guy. And um, yeah. And so the way so the way that it works is that you can infinitely go like so in the top most of those three or four rooms you if you go through the top door it'll warp you back to the first room and it it makes no sense it's actually very strange because it implies that because earlier in the game there was that deal with the raccoon when Terran was a raccoon and if you tried to go through the top barrier in the forest then you just got warped back until you transform Terran and so this progression of rooms always confused me because that earlier interaction to me implies that there's something you can do to get like to to stop that from happening. And that's not the case. Um, that just goes on forever until you get the level two bracelet and you can op- you can pull up one of the elephant statues in one of those rooms and there's a stairway. But I don't think there's any way to stop like there's no way to get past that that last you can't ever go north and not be teleported yeah um i'm not i don't quite recall i thought that there was like there's a way to get the like puzzle solved jingle and then go go north yeah so you have to you have to take one elephant statue so you don't go north you actually go down a stairwell you take one elephant statue and throw it into the other elephant statue and if you do that it opens up a stairwell down to the bottom Huh. So there's it's, a little yeah, bit of a, a weird, so there's some weirdness there from like a game design perspective where generally when you're, when you want players to solve puzzles with certain mechanics, you want to, you want those mechanics to exist in a consistent way in the game. Um, you want the player to be able to use that mechanic somewhere, probably somewhere where it's a little easier. Maybe they were tutorialized. Maybe they, it was taught to them in some way. And then they can kind of generalize what they learned. They can take what they learned and use it elsewhere. Um, and over the t- course of a game, they might use it increasingly harder or more complex ways. Yeah. And there's there's definitely a bunch of places, actually, where Link's Awakening kind of breaks that rule, where they just have, like, really weird one-off mechanics. Like, there's one place in the game where you need to remember that you can shoot the bomb and the arrow at the same time to shoot a bomb arrow. And, like, there's literally only one place that happens and where it matters. Yeah. Um, and there's this, this weird room in the face shrine that isn't taught anywhere else. Um, there's just a bunch of weird stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I have a few aesthetic notes about this dungeon that I want to bring. Oh, actually, sorry, Matt has. I have one note I want to say that I really love and appreciate about this dungeon. Greg, the middle block is not in this dungeon. (laughs) I hate Greg, the middle block. So the bane of Matt's existence in this game is there's a, there's a series of rooms in catfish's maw where it's like, it's just a crossroads room and you have to move Uh a block out of the way to like get to any of those other rooms. Right. (laughs) I hate, I hate Matt that crossroads. And, and if you if you move the block the block the block it blocks off yes. yeah, some yeah. of the exits. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. Matt hates Classic. that block so much he gave it a name and it's his nemesis now. It's, it's Greg. He's never gonna see it again, but it's nope. Greg. It's, it's Greg. Greg the block, and we hate Greg. We hate Wait until Greg. you get to the turnstiles and Eagles Tower. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah you're gonna hate I know. that i'm gonna super hate anyway. that i i Wait, hate that, the needlessly this, tedious mechanics was this your first time playing this game second this is only my second, second time, time okay. yeah. i remember there was some game you hadn't played before oh i, I have not played i haven't played a lot of them i have not played okay. wind waker i haven't played link to the past i haven't played it was link to the past that's what I was yeah i haven't played link to the past so yeah this is only my second time playing this game um and i hate greg the block i i just <laughs> generally dislike 
mechanics that I find to be needlessly. Do you have like a foe in real life named Greg? Like, no, I was actually so funny story. I was actually thinking about Greg, the ogre that as used to test all of his weapon. Oh, we've all, I mean, we've, we've all thrown some rockets (laughs) into Greg. Yeah. I I was thinking Greg, the ogre from (laughs) destiny too. So like, that's where it came from to be hundred percent honest. Rest in peace, Greg rip, uh, to a, to a real one. Uh, okay. So a few quick aesthetic notes about this dungeon. Uh, first of all, I want to talk about, this is one of those moments where I feel like this dungeon really gains something from the Game Boy version to the Switch version. It doesn't, uh, the aesthetics of it are not in your face the Mm -hmm. way that some of these other dungeons are. But when I played this Game Boy version as a kid, I never associated any particular color or palette with it. And it always seemed very sterile to me. Because, uh, like, in Catfish's Maw, in the Game Boy version, they were still able to approximate, like, sand texture on the floor with, yeah. the, with, with the 8-bit grass. So it's like they were able to do things in some dungeons that gave me a sense of what they were going for, even though it was monochrome. This dungeon, it's all just stone walls and floors and tiles, and I never had a good sense of what that dungeon was supposed to feel like. When you go into this dungeon in the Switch version, one, the music is very moody. It's very moody and somewhat sinister, which is great, yeah. especially coming off of the revelation you just had in the Southern Shrine. Like, we're definitely kicking off a very different mood for this game. But also, the Hulk, the whole color palette of this dungeon is is red and pink. And it's very I mean, talk about your twin peaks, right? Like it has <laughs> it has a very like red room kind of uh aesthetic to yeah, it. Yeah, it's not the direction I ever expected it to go. Yeah. But it's so sinister, right? Like it fits in yeah. with it, it creates such a, a much more sinister mood around the entire dungeon than was in the Game Boy version. I think the face shrine is is a particular highlight of the remake. Um, I think they did a great job with it, like the music and the visuals. Yeah. Um, and I, I also just want to say that I really like the 3D models that they made for the elephant statues. I like, mm-hmm. yeah, they're, they're pretty great. As much as it sucks that that's like, like we said, the level two power bracelet, it sucks. It's not great. But um, those elephant statues look really cool rendered into this like toyetic aesthetic so that they have for this. This gives me a weird cross vibe between the Fire Temple in Ocarina of Time and the Spirit Temple in Ocarina of Time. Like there, there's, a, there's a weird cross vibe there, but I appreciate it. Okay. I don't get that at all, but I respect the really you do. Which, which part? Like, what makes you say that? I think it's mostly the color palette, right? Like the color palette of the entire dungeon being that the red and then the sinister kind of tones, the sinister music I really is what I think takes me to the fire temple because the fire temple doesn't necessarily have music, but the whole vibe of the audio track for the fire temple is just crazy. Like uncomfortable. Unless you play the gold card version. Yeah. And then then you get the Islamic chant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which we don't do. It's I can see the spirit temple connection. Like, mm-hmm. face shrine is ominous and kind of it's got some some old like almost Egyptian vibes to it. See, I was thinking um, in I was thinking India from mostly mostly because of the elephant statues and the motifs around. Um, yeah, I was getting a, a heavy um, like northern India vibe. But I mean, like we've got a very like hieroglyphics and that kind of that visual yeah. language. Right. That's why I'm know. saying there's a lot of like cross. Yeah. vibing going on right now yeah. um which uh, again the fire temple was heavy on the not exactly hieroglyphics but most of the walls had carvings that were like murals or pictographs right so yeah. 
there's a lot and of it, it's just so weird because like when i was a kid playing this on the game boy when i say it felt sterile i imagined these walls as just being like white stone bone and, white yes and i don't know why that is like maybe it's because the wizards were in here and they were ghosts and i just created like i combined all those things in my head and i don't know but um yeah, I don't know. I think that this dungeon, you're right, Max, this dungeon really gains a lot from the from the Switch remaster and it, it feels it feels great, you know? It, it's 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 good enough for me to excuse the fact that it, the key that you need to get into it is just a clown face, which <laughs> screw clowns. Yeah. Also, why the, is it a clown face? There's not a clown anywhere in this dungeon. Like that would have made more sense for the bottle grotto. Is it, is yeah. it really a clown face? It, it is, yes. <laughs> I haven't looked like I don't quite can't quite recall. I guess it has like the top of the hat or something. Um it no, it's the eyes. It has like diamond harlequin looking eyes. Oh yeah. It's the I guess the boss is kind of like that. Sort of. Yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of stretching there, reaching. Um so the map for this dungeon is shaped like a face. Just like all the maps, Link's Awakening are shaped like the thing the dungeon is named after. Um has that not come up before? My mind no, is what? completely blown right the now. I'm grotto, sorry. You, its uh, map is in the on. shape of a bottle. Hold uh, on. I am now looking this up because I don't believe you because that's just like. I mean, I believe him, but I. Oh, my gosh. It's a bottle. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> uh, t- t- uh, key cavern is the shape of a key. Um, oh Eagle's Tower my. doesn't really do anything but uh, <laughs> Lyndon, we are terrible podcasters how have we not noticed this oh my god we have failed you all we have failed the listeners I'm so sorry wow uh, okay well that's literally right in your face it's so it's so on the nose so to speak <laughs> no pun intended with the face shrine but there it is Oh man! God. Well, thank you for that, Damn Max. It. You know what? We really appreciate you. Oh man. Okay, this seems this seems like a pretty good time to get into the boss fight, which I don't think we're going to spend a whole lot of time on, right? Because this boss sucks. He's just like I mean, he's an, he's it's stupid. He's a total pushover. He's you so easy. Three times and he's done ski. But you have to dodge the tiles. <laughs> no, you stand in a corner with your shield up and you're good. Yeah, the, the tile the tiles that do like way less damage than anything else in the game. Like you could just tank all those hits and still be fine. <laughs> even on hero mode? Yeah. It's even on hero mode, yeah. No, I look. Uh the tone of this dungeon is great. It is not it, like it, it it kind of just peters out by the time you get to the boss. Uh and it's even like the tone of the boss. He's very self-aware. Like he speaks in a much more uh, human way than most of the bosses you fought before uh, who were all like, ah, I'm evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This island, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. And, <laughs> and this boss is very much just like, hey, what's up, dude? Uh, bet you don't know anything about this island. I could tell you, but I won't. Ha ha. It's like, oh, <laughs> so, I appreciate, so, so. The converse, appreciate the conversation. <laughs> I'm yeah. flipping you off right now, but you can't see it because I'm only a face. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> so, no, I, it's just easy. Like you just have to, uh, you just have to bomb him a few times. I don't know. Especially after the slimy. The hardest part is figuring out how to damage him. But once you do, and it's pretty obvious, you know, if you're an experienced gamer, uh, Throw a bomb Which at it. I wasn't when I played this <laughs> the first time. 
So but yeah, once you once you know the rules, it's easy. So you threw all the bombs at the genie, but took you a while to figure out to throw bombs <laughs> at the face. <laughs> well, after yeah. he figured out the way to beat the genie, he was like, "I'm never throwing another bomb in this game <laughs> again." <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's, that's oh man, I love that so much. That's <laughs> fair, uh, but you know, we've all got those weird little things with with games that we just like. Being adults now, we realize like that made no sense. I don't know why I ever. Thought I don't know that, why I know, tried that like, for so long. Pre, it was pre-internet. Like I didn't, I didn't have any way to look anything up. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't have money to buy a strategy guide. No, I had no choice. Just wing it. Yeah. <laughs> See if yep. you can figure it out. Okay. I mean, Matt, do you have anything to say about that? No, not okay. really. I mean, okay, the cool. boss is ridiculous. You you literally <laughs> uh, stand in a corner, tank all the crap, throw some bombs at his face, he dies, says some weird ish, and then I, you go. I do your- think the first time you go into the room and his face appears, I remember that being kind of intimidating. It was a little off putting. I yeah. think he's like I think you're like, oh the first time, like yeah. What I played it at least. Oh, uh, the the sound you should use for that bleep is Link falling into uh, a hole and yeah. Link's awakening. You, no, 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 well, yeah, but you know what sucks about that? What? I um, I've been trying to find MP3s for the sound effects for the Switch version, and I can't anywhere. Oh, that's I can, sad. Yeah, I can some find, of them are really good. Yeah, I can find the ones. I can find the soundtrack, but right. not like the sound effect. Aww. So also the one where Link drowns in this one is really good. Right, yeah, yeah that it's sounds great. awful. <laughs> but great. but like I can find all the Game Boy sound effects, but they all sound except for the bomb. All of them are just kind of like they're very eight bit like they sound like nothing that's too out of context so uh, you'll you'll have to find a good one i'll keep looking anyway um okay so that has been the boss big face pushover guy anyway yeah uh (laughs) but but yeah okay to put a pin in the dungeon map face shrine i like it It, it's fun it's difficult this is a point in the game where the the individual difficulty of the dungeons ramps up with each success of one you know um we're, we're definitely on an upward climb as far as dungeon difficulty goes and i i appreciate that so uh that takes us into part four which is side quests and matt i don't think you or i really did anything much with that no i'm saving the here. rest of them for our next episode where i'm gonna finish the boomerang side quest and i'm gonna hunt some seashells okay i'm gonna uh, all right so i did get the boomerang uh finished that and then I did. I, I went and did the raft ride once or twice, just because I really enjoyed the raft ride. <laughs> um, I like getting very rich doing that. Uh, as Max said earlier, I'm not using that money on anything, but but just like having it, yeah, it sure. makes you feel good. Yeah, don't so, we all? Yeah, it's interesting because the game doesn't really have very many things that you could describe as a side side quest. Um, Pre Ocarina of Time, it's the Zelda games were kind of like that, like. Sometimes you find cool things, but there's not necessarily a quest to get it. It's just like a thing somewhere in the world. Yeah. Uh, the big exception is the trading game, of course. Um, sure. If you're playing color, the photography game. Uh, yeah, that's that's true. Um, the trading quest is kind of it's difficult to talk about that as a side quest because you really need to do it to yeah, it's, beat it's this game. <laughs> yeah. Um, the one thing that we have not talked about at all, Matt, is the Dompe dungeon builder. I will not be doing any of that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not great. Um, it's bad. The last time it, it, it sucks so much because it had so much potential, like, yeah. especially in a post Mario maker world, you know, it just sounded so cool, but what it actually is, is really boring. Um, I have done it. 
I did quite a lot of it last time I played the game just because I that last item slot in my inventory was really bugging the heck out of me and I wanted the bottle <laughs> so that so that I had everything. But yeah. I mean, like, here's my thing about that. If you enjoy it, good for you. Um, I, like, I, I've gone through, at the end of this game, nine dungeons, basically. You can count the Windfish's Egg as a dungeon, more or less. Yeah. And if you've done the color dungeon, then you've done ten. Like, the last thing I want to do is sit here and create my own. Like, I, I just, like, I don't know. It... It didn't land for me. And also tracking down all of those stones is Max, do you think because there are people on the Internet who the the, their dearest wish. Maybe in life, I don't know, I'm not judging is (laughs) is for is for Nintendo to create a Zelda maker the way that we have like Mario Mario Maker, maker. Yeah. And my understanding, having played a ton of Zelda, is that the the contextual nature of interactions in Zelda dungeons makes that somewhat impossible. Am I right? Like, do you agree with me? Yeah. Like Mario games are very moment to moment gameplay driven, right? Like you care about the jump that's in front of you um, or the star that you're trying to get. If it's 3d one, like there isn't really a, uh, a driving force beyond that, typically, unless yeah. you're like a completionist or something. Um, Zelda games have it's you're not driven by the moment to moment gameplay in front of you. Um, it, like when you're in a dungeon, dungeons are fun because of the way that they're interconnected, or the way they have like a unique mechanic for that dungeon, or they have a unique monster for the first time that you have to figure out. Like a lot of it is like novelty based and. Um, and oftentimes there is a story drive to it. Like you care about something that's happening because of a character that it matters to or something that you're attached to. Not so much in these older ones, but especially as the series goes on. Um, I think the only kind of Zelda dungeon you could make in a Zelda maker would be a kind of a simple combat gauntlet. Like, Sure. Yeah. It's just hard to get that interconnection. So you could make your own shadow dungeon. Or Shadow Temple. Yeah, yeah. Except Shadow Keep, at the very least, Shadow Temple had like unique ambiance and like aesthetic and combatants, and uh, it had like blood, which, you know. (laughs) (laughs) It had had super torture vibes. Yeah, like uh, that's accurate. Um, Had like skulls on the floor. Put that reaction into your Link's Awakening dungeon. Uh, no <laughs> no <laughs> okay anyway Dompe's dungeon builder an interesting concept that uh, just did not land yeah just did not land okay all right uh that takes us out of part oh, four one Let's last get thing real about quick into the dungeon builder the dungeon builder is the reason oh, yeah. they remade like awakening like that is was it what really they, they were like we want to try making a zelda dungeon maker how can we do this what is a good vehicle for us to release this with and that's why they decided to remake Link's Awakening because it had the the grid based dungeon maps, and they well, thought it was a good. Uh, so I'll have to say I'm really glad they did that because I never would have played Link's Awakening <laughs> if it weren't for this Switch remake. And I love this game. All right, um, but the dungeon maker sucks. Well, cheers <laughs> to Nintendo and 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 to uh, and to Dompe's dungeon builder. As much as it sucks, without it, we would not have had this excellent remaster. So, yes, that's great. 
But man, that's that's that's, <laughs> that's a, hilarious. That, that's really interesting. But I guess that's fair because the tile dungeon design nature is not necessarily echoed. I mean, it doesn't really work that way in a link to the past. Um, nope. I can't remember the Oracle games whether it does or not. I, it, I would it, assume it, it does. Yeah. Yeah, but basically they had to go to the Oracles, Link's Awakening, or Zelda One. Those are the tile based ones. Do you think we get Oracle remakes in this style at any point? Oh, I don't know. I really badly want them. Um, yeah, me too. I I don't know if they're going to do it, though. Uh, even though they have a lot of the assets right there, like for whatever reason, um, I think I don't they don't have the Dungeon Maker impetus for it. I think that mattered a lot to them. I think they wanted it to be like a big thing. So, no. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I, I'm skeptical as well. I don't think it'll happen, but who knows? Who knows? Yeah, there's no accounting for for what Nintendo's going to do, honestly. Uh, Anyone who thinks they know is, is, is kidding themselves. People underestimate how how expensive that is. Like, they think that because the yep. game already exists, a remake is easy, but there's a bunch of costs and difficulties that are unique to remakes. Like it's hard to make them match the old game in a bunch of ways. And so like, it would actually be a pretty big investment from Nintendo to remake those two, which is why I don't think it's a given at all. Yeah. Well, and you've got the Capcom connection with those as well, which creates like a a shared profit situation. And I don't know, which is, which is one of the reasons I don't think we see Minish Cap show up in a lot of places, but which is really sad because Minish Cap is my personal favorite top down. Same director Even as after Breath of the Wild. It's what? The guy who directed Minish Cap went on to direct Breath of the Wild. And Skyward Sword. Cool. He left Capcom and joined Nintendo. <sighs> Sorry, I'm like just blurting out totally okay. tangential facts here. Hey, yeah, but as long as they're interesting, we're cool with it. And they always are. <laughs> so... There we go. It's all good. Uh, Matt, let's get into part five real fast, which is Z-targeting. What's your Z-targeting character pick for this week? Do you want me to go first? Yes, I want you to go first because I honestly don't have one. I didn't I didn't talk to anybody (laughs) in this. I didn't I literally did not talk to anybody in this section of the game. Yeah, I'm going to go with the um, I'm going to go with the raft guy, the guy who runs the raft shop. I don't know. He seems like he's got a pretty good gig, right? He just sets up shop on a little river and he gives you a, a pallet, right? He's <laughs> you like, just kind of flow down the he's river. Like, and hey, grab give some me a hundred yeah. bucks and I'll let you float down the river on my rickety ass pallet. And uh, it's like those pallets you steal from behind Walmart to make a fire. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, like also, awesome. but also I don't think this guy took one look at the land that he bought because it's it's lousy with money. Money's just laying there like and and also weaponry like <laughs> You know, I don't know. I don't know. I'm questioning his business model. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with you. Um, so I'm going to pick the um, it's called. Uh, yeah, it's called the Smasher, our little Manta Ray friend, because just because he's adorable. He's cute. <laughs> he's super cute and also easy to kill, but mostly cute. I'd, I'd get one. I would totally have one as a pet as long as it didn't throw a giant bowling ball at me. Sure. Yeah. Max, it's been a while since you were on, but uh, if you want to go ahead and take a Z-targeting pick, just a character in Link's Awakening up to Face Shrine. That oh, you I can go all the way back particularly- before Face Shrine? 
I mean, mm. as close as close to there as you can get would be great. But I mean, you know, I'll give you some leeway. Like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go for it. I'm gonna say Marin, um, which is maybe a boring answer, but Marin is a very interesting character to me because she's like this this sequestered young woman who is who has big dreams about the outside world and out of out from that world that has never they've never been to or had anyone come from comes a f- uh, link and link to her is like a symbol of of the greater outside world that she dreams about right like that's why she's attached to him is because he represents the freedom that she doesn't have um and i just think she's a really interesting pretty well realized character and they like they do a bunch of good stuff where they, they kind of make you like um care about her and curious about whether she's you know falling in love with link and like the shippers love her uh you know she's got that like nami from one piece thing going on with the red hair um like i just think she's she's one of my favorite characters in the whole series somewhere online there's posts where or i'm like babbling about how i want them to put her in smash brothers and stuff uh <laughs> because i have a vastly inflated <laughs> idea about people like her well, hey, she showed up in uh, in the first Hyrule Warriors, so that was cool. Yep. Wait, she did. Yeah, she was you, a DLC you character. Plays Marin. Yeah, but and no, I it, it's really tough to knock anyone for choosing Marin. I mean, she's just a great character. So. Matt, I did it last week, so this week it's all up to you. Part six is our uh, is jeez, oh, what I don't know. Wow. Okay, uh, you want to try no, that again? I don't have the script up. What is it? Okay, part six is final thoughts, and uh, I'm just going <clears> to <throat> bounce that to you for a one or two sentence quick wrap up on this whole section of the game. The face shrine section of the game is the most narratively important segment of Link's Awakening because it reveals to you supposedly the nature of the island of Coho Lint. The shrine itself is a fun and functional dungeon that gives you an underwhelming item and caps off with continuing the um, mystery of what is Coho Lint. That was almost two perfect sentences, and you derailed it a little bit in the middle with an um, but I think it's still... I don't, I don't even think you had a semicolon in there anywhere. I think it was just <laughs> two... It was, it was grammatically good? Well, I mean, the, uh, you could... I mean, give or Without take an um. um. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I, I just know. had to it find great. the right word. Great. I had to find the right word. It was, the structure was, a, was wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. I've been working on it. I've been working on my succinctness. <laughs> this has been the Sacred Realms... Succinctony is a good one. Oh, gosh. This has been the Sacred Realms Rundown. We will, of course, be back with another installment of the Sacred Realms Rundown next week, where we will talk about Eagle's Tower, which, man, that's a dungeon. That's a fun one. What a dungeon. It's a really great dungeon. Hey, high point. Yeah, geez. I don't know. Max, do you? I'll edit this out if you don't, but do do you just want to come back for that one, too? I mean, we'll have you. Yeah, totally. Cool. Cool. I'll absolutely come back for that one. All right. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, we'll we'll schedule that out again. But uh but yeah, sweet. Uh Max comes back on to talk about more vertical dungeon design. It's gonna be great. <laughs> <laughs> and you get to hear me complain about the turnstiles in uh real time. Yeah, exactly. It's gonna be fun. Uh before we get out of here, I do just want to remind everybody this episode is scheduled to release on July twenty eighth, which means that uh you have exactly three days 
left to subscribe to the Big Goran Sword tier of our Patreon and snag your uh, trading card for the month of July as of the recording of this episode. I don't know what that design is, but it will be Link's Awakening related. So uh, get in on that. Max, actually, I think Matt needs your address. I was going to say so. that. I need your address to send you your Ocarina of Time card. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. I'll uh, just type it in here. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So I think that's about all we got before it's time to get out of here. Um, we already covered our listener mail. Derek, thank you again for... Uh, no, we have one more. Uh, do you want to get to Drew uh, Sprayberries? Yes, let's do it, dude. I think it's a good one, <laughs> mostly because I have a Destiny joke about it and Max is on. Oh, so gosh. I can't miss the Destiny joke. All right, joke. all right, all right, all right. Well, you read it then. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Hold on, I'm pulling it up now. So Drew Sprayberry, our wonderful friend and patron, has asked us a question. He says, my goodness, why is my computer so slow? That is not what he said. Listener question. When (laughs) that was not a question. Drew Sprayberry wrote in and asked us for some IT advice. That's not what happened. Turn it off and turn it back on, Drew. (laughs) When I played Link's Awakening as a 10-year-old, Moldorm was the bane of my existence. However, in playing through the game with you guys, I discovered you can beat the bugger with only two well-timed spin attacks. What other bosses have you encountered that had ways to cheese a normally difficult fight? Let me introduce you to crota and or riven <laughs> neither of which have i beaten the real way crota <laughs> son of oryx and riven of a uh, thousand voices yeah uh en- enemy of land cables <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, destiny jokes aside <laughs> hold on i mean the the obvious one for Link's awakening is the final boss which you can you can beat he's, he's a bunch of forms you can beat one of his forms uh in like 10 hits with bow and arrow or one hit with the boomerang and the boomerang is the trick there freaking boomerang <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the final think, form too <laughs> yeah i think like my biggest cheese really is goma and ocarina of time you can kill her in one phase just by doing straight jump attacks like she if you do three jump attacks the you know the z target her and then do a she dies within one damage phase um other than that it's mostly just something like using i mean oh actually you know what is the best example of this what Majora's Mask. All three phases of Majora's Mask with Fierce Deity's Mask oh, is God. literally a joke. Like, it's <laughs> not even a fight. You literally just sit at the back with your maxed out um, magic potion and you just throw the beams of light at Majora's Mask and it dies. Like, it is... A, I've, I don't think I've ever beaten Majora's Mask without using the Fierce Deity's Mask. Yeah, I haven't either. I have no idea if that's actually a hard fight or not no it's literally the easiest fight of all time because the fierce deities mask is ridiculously overpowered <laughs> i'm you have to 100 percent the game though exactly <laughs> i mean yeah that's, that's true thing. like you it's, be- you it's better than getting a gold rupee for collecting all the skulltulas no garina oh god no yeah 100 it's a way better reward <laughs> i mean and and some would say canonically is the way that it's supposed to happen so i don't know Who's to say? Yeah, I, I don't think Canon Link like let some of those villagers leave them to their horrible fates or anything like that. He saved everyone. He yeah. absolutely saved yeah, everyone. That sounds right. That sounds right. Canon Link went and defeated all the temple bosses, saved Romani's ranch, and reunited um, 
please tell Andrew me. Andrew and Kafe. Thank you. Um, and read all in one run through. So mine Absolutely. is- Absolutely. My answer to this question, I'm going to bring it back to Link's Awakening. Any boss that relies on sword hits where you happen to pick up a piece of power before you walk into the boss room. Oh, those pieces of power are amazing. I hate them. No, I because, love them. They're awesome. Because, they're music, because they have the worst music in the game. Oh, okay. And it stomps <laughs> over whatever other music is playing. When I play that game, I avoid them. I like I treat them like traps. I I like jump over them. I I go I like leave the screen and come back so that it disappears and clears the way for me. I hate them. <laughs> yeah, no. I uh I was I don't know if I said this last week or, or two weeks ago or not. I picked up a piece of power right before I walked into the angler fight in Angler's Tunnel. And it's not Oh, so you killed that guy in like two hits. Well, yeah, and he's easy anyway. So like You know, he looks like the fish boss in Majora's Mask. Gyorg? Uh, Gyorg. He looks like Gyorg, but Gyorg sucks, and Angler does not. Angler's easy. No. Oh, they, well. Like, totally changed the Gyorg fight in the 3DS. For I know. So, funny thing, again, I'm like 90% sure I'm going to play Majora's Mask on the Nintendo 64 because I absolutely hate the way they changed the boss fights in the 3DS version. I hate it. They gave all of the bosses um, like eyes that pop out of their backs or some shit. And I can't stand it. Like the Nintendo 64 fights are a billion times better. Just in general. Little side note there. (laughs) By the time you guys get to Majora's Mask, you will have talked about everything in Majora's Mask. Well, that's probably no, accurate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's probably you're, accurate. <laughs> you're you're 100 true. And and you know, as far as Matt goes, as uh, as Mr. Spock once said about uh, Captain Kirk, he's a man of intense feeling. So hey, that is accurate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so thank you, Drew, for writing in that listener mail. We really appreciate that. Uh, to all of our other patrons, please uh, keep it coming. You know, we love having something fun to dig into every now and again. Uh, man, that is just a cute cat, Max. Oh my gosh. Matt, are you seeing this? Uh, no, no, I've been watching the cat. The cat has been in the frame literally the entire as episode someone- and has been wanting all the attention, and I am in love with this cat. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. As someone who kisses their cat on the reg, I appreciate everything about that. Yeah, I mean, it's Bia, obviously. Mal would kill you. Sure, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> my cat's name is Beatrix Kiddo, just... And that's the sweet one. By the way. Uh, Max, seriously, thank you so much for coming on this week. Um... We look forward to having you back next week for Eagles Tower, which is either my first or favorite second. Sorry, my uh, either my first or second favorite dungeon in this game. And so I'm very excited to talk to you about it. If you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it is not a problem. Five-star Apple podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show and that makes us very happy Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at sacredrealmspod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on Link's Awakening, Chapter 8. No, sorry, Chapter 7, which includes Eagle's Tower. We would love for you to play along with us and share your thoughts on our social channels. Link's Awakening can be played in its original format on the Nintendo 2DS or 3DS or on your trusty old Game Boy or Game Boy Color. And also on that special edition Game & Watch, which Nintendo is releasing. 
Or, of course, you can play the remastered version on the Nintendo Switch, which is the version that Matthew and I are playing. In the meantime, may your hearts be full and may your arrows never miss. We'll did you just call time. me Matthew again? I thought we covered this. I, I did, and I'm sorry. <laughs> it's fine. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences. Bye!